good to see you again. And, um, and it's also good to be seen. Um, we are on the last, on the last lesson uh, in the series that we've been um, learning, teaching the last uh, five weeks. This is the sixth week. Um, just to refresh our memories, this is on leading like Christ. Leading like Christ. And in our own case, leading our families. Leading our families like Christ. Or parenting like Jesus Christ. And um, today we are going to be having a summary. A summary of all that we have been learning over the last five weeks. Uh, it's going to be a review. There will be a few things. Uh, the three people that has been teaching us or instructing us in the video that we're watching, Ken, Phil, and, um, and Tricia, they will give us um, the, last, the last commands, or a review of what, um, of what it is like to lead like Christ. But by way of um, summary, you recall that there were four parts. There are four parts in parenting or leading our families like Christ. Uh, the first part is the heart. The heart. Uh, what are your intentions and what are your motivations? Are you urging God out or exalting God only? As a parent, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a husband. Um, the, the second thing was the hurt. The hurt deals with um, your beliefs about leadership your beliefs about influencing others. Um, do you have the right purpose? Or what is your goal in leading your family? And um, the goal, we were told, is, is to glorify God. And to glorify God means showing who he is to our uh, members of our families, to our children. And then the third is the hands, the hands. Um, the hands deals with the methods or behaviors of a leader. So you take what is in your heart and what is in your mind, your head, and then you bring it down to the things that you do. Um, what are your behaviors? Um, we are to model for our children. Um, there was this saying that um, what you get is what you see. So if we model compliance to our children, our children are going to pay back compliance to us, but if we model obedience, of course, they are going to be obedient. So um, what they see is what you get. Um, so it's more of coaching them, coaching them, not just, not just preaching, but you leave out the sermon that you preach. And the fourth one was habits. So we have the heart, the head, the hands, and the last one is the habit. Uh, the habit deals with uh, disciplines, the daily disciplines, the day-to-day -day things that we do to keep us in focus um, on leading like Jesus Christ. And that comprises solitude, a time of solitude. You know, we, we, we need to take time out to be with God, to hear him, to listen to him. Prayers, prayers, uh, scriptures, uh, the Bible was um, described to us as uh, God's love letter to us. Uh, I think we should see the Bible as God's love letter to us. So tonight, uh, uh, a very short video clip, uh, which will be a review of all of that. And a little more things added. And then um, we would um, end with um, discussions and questions and comments if we have any. So please, can we have the video? So now you know that leading your family like Jesus is about transforming your heart, your head, your hands, and habits. As you apply the concepts you've learned in this series, remember that parenting like Jesus is a daily journey and a challenge rather than a destination. It will always be filled with failures, roughly right behaviors, and out and out victories. To help you keep on keeping on, this session features a review from Phil, some down-to-earth tips from Tricia, and encouraging words from me. 
You'll be surprised what God will do through you as you apply these biblical principles to your parenting. Trust Jesus as your parenting leadership role model. When you do, you'll make him smile and help your children fulfill their God-given potential. In this last session, we're going to talk about how you can get ready to lead your family like Jesus. Phil, why don't you just summarize uh, some of the things that we've talked about? Okay. What we really need to keep reviewing is there are four parts to leading like Jesus. And the first one was in the domain of the heart. And we have always said if the heart's not right, the rest really doesn't matter. And the heart also is the place that's the most fickle. It's the one that needs continually to be looked at. And the big question in the heart is, am I seeking to serve or be served in the moment? Am I going to be using the influence I have for the betterment of the kids and my family, or am I really making it about me? And that's going to be a question that's day-to-day, moment-by-moment, and a big challenge. The second part was the head, is what do we think about the issue of leadership from Jesus' perspective? And there's two parts of it. He gave us a vision for the family. And the vision to the family is that that it be the place where loving is the most mighty word, where the, the most basic lesson to be taught is that people are respected, people are enjoyed, and people are loved unconditionally. And that vision for the family, and then how do you implement it? That was into the hands. And how would we put this to work day to day? The first two things you have, you can almost do on your own, but nobody will know the difference. But it's putting your hands together and doing things, demonstrating something different in the way we approach people, coaching them, not judging them, uh, praising progress, modeling that which we are going to ask people to do. And then the third domain is how do you keep this all together? Parenting is moment by moment, choice by choice. Uh, gauging uh, the needs of others. And we need to be uh, fit and ready to do that. And how do we do that? Again, by what Jesus showed us out of his life to take care of the turmoil was first solitude, that he needed so much time alone just to get with the Father. And then he used scripture. We talked about scripture as the love letter, but it's also that source of wisdom that we can have. And if you, want to, if you want a quick fix on what you need to do in, uh, in parenting, read Proverbs. It's all over, father and son, and, and uh, what we should do. And then the other ones was a business of prayer. One thing I, I, I came to understand a little bit about children and parents is children are God's appointed training instructors for the spiritual development of their parents. There's nothing that'll get you on your knees quicker than your kids. There's nothing that'll make you more humble than your relationship with them. And that's where God wants us. And really into that relationship where he will, we can forgive and also be a, you know, a, a, a giver of grace because we've accepted it. So those are kind of the, th- the four pieces we need to do. Keep our heart healthy, keep our mind focused, keep our hands busy, and keep our spirit refreshed in the things that God's given us to do it that way. In Kenyan culture, the the parents are very much, you know, the leaders, and the kids are, you know, sort of, you know, it's very top-down. But I think um, I'm beginning to sort of reverse the way I parent by, by truly serving my son and being a servant. I want to be a, a servant of Christ, and I'm thinking, that I can be a, a parent who serves in the same style, who leads by being a servant, and uh, by not just looking for things for me, but by truly uh, being a servant to David in the way I parent him, 
in the way I help him, in the way I lift him up and pray for him, and not being sort of uh, too demanding, uh, but by just giving him room to grow uh, as a child and not just being, you know, set out my agenda and this is my plan. Um, and it was amazing this morning he came to me and said, Mommy, can I make you an egg? Oh, I just about fell on the floor. I was so excited. I said, you can make me an egg. <laughs> because he's beginning to see the things that I do for him and he's beginning to reflect those things. It's such a challenge to be a servant because you, you just have to humble yourself. And to humble yourself to a child, for me, uh, from a cultural perspective, uh, is um, something new. But uh, as I humble myself to him, it just makes it so much easier. I know every time I read a book, I mean, there's so much good wisdom, but how does it apply to my family? And how can I get my kids involved in that? So one of the activities that we talk about in the book is creating your family label. So just get a big poster board one night at dinner after you're finished, and then say, okay, who are we as a family? And then go to the refrigerator, go to the cupboard, look at labels of things. Ketchup is, um, you know, organic or spicy, or, you know, these crackers are wholesome, or you know, all these things, and figure out, okay, who is our label as a family? If if we only had to pick three or four words of who we are, who's going to express us, what would we pick? And the kids can jump in with all kinds of words and then decide, and it really helps you when you're setting your priorities. So we are a service and transparency and evangelism. So we took time during our week to serve others and evangelize and, and be transparent, which also meant opening our home to other people to come on in. This is who we are. And so when we were looking at like kids' sports activities, well, if we do soccer for every child, then we don't have time to serve in church. And so it really helps you figure out your own priorities once you figure out what your label is. And then another thing when I, when I talk about priorities is uh, another activity in the book is doing the figuring out the, what are the most important things to do in our week. And my husband sat me down. I remember one time I was completely frazzled, overwhelmed. I had kids in sports and dance and music and just running here and there. Dinner wasn't getting on the table. And I just remember crying, I cannot do it all. I cannot do it all. Much more dramatic than that. <laughs> um, and he sat down and he said, OK, let's look over all our priorities for the week. And he says, we're going to list out everything that you do in a week. And I said, there's not enough paper to write down everything I do. But we did. And we um, categorized them in four ways. One are the things we have to do. We have to feed our kids. We have to get them dressed. They have to go to school. Two are the things we should do. We should do laundry sometime during the week, <laughs> get their bedrooms picked up. Three were good things that we enjoyed doing, maybe a, a Bible study outside the home or a sports activity. Four were the things that maybe uh, we were fearful of what someone else thought if we didn't do it. Mm. Um, they were things that we, we thought we should be doing as a parent, things we imagined that we would do someday. I imagine I'd have a ballerina daughter. Um, you know, so that would be in there. Or things that we felt guilty about. I had people at church asking me to volunteer different things. Well, I felt guilty if I said no. So those were the in the four columns. And John took up the marker and he marked out all the fours. And he says, those are gone. You're not going to be cleaning the church anymore. You're not going to be, you know, our daughter doesn't even like dance class. We don't need to worry about having a ballerina. And we just X those out. And then some of the three things that weren't for the right season, we crossed some of those out, and my my schedule became so much more open that I can follow the things that God wanted me to do instead of filling it up completely. I really related to Trisha's that section that Trisha spoke very honestly about her personal experience and filling her schedule because it's familiar for me. I am very good at filling my schedule and volunteering for things and stepping up for things that I'm not necessarily called to do. I just have stepped up because I feel like I could be useful there. And um, so when I read that and I was reminded, wait, my schedule is also supposed to be something that only exalts God and it's not about pleasing other people or filling a need or doing something because it's right. Um, so reading the book then really helped me to say, oh, wait a minute, like, like I need to remember this. Like this is something that I need to check in my own life and I need to remember how important it is to do that again, to stop and look at our schedules. And it's very easy for us to compare to other families and say, well, their kids are involved in this or their kids are really excelling in this area. Maybe we should try that with our kids too. And uh, for me, that was a good reminder that my 
approach towards everything in my own life as well as our kids has to be about, wait a minute, how is this exalting God? As a parent, you're always wanting to put your child in the, the best thing and keep up with the Joneses and make sure they are in this program and doing this and wearing these clothes and to finally realize I don't have to do that, you know, and, and that takes a lot of stress out of my life just to be me and just a parent as we feel led to parent as God shows us and to be careful not to compare with other children and their standards and realize they are all different. God created all the kids differently. They all learn differently and just to make sure that we're not trying to keep up with everybody else and that we're pleasing our father instead of trying to please other people and their opinions. The only other thing that, that kind of the wrap up on all of this is is the business of what's the essence to all of this leading your family like Jesus is it's love. When uh, Jesus told his disciples in the upper room, he said, a new commandment I have for you. And you know, they got out there, whatever they had to write with, and he said, love one another. Well, that wasn't new. But the next part was, he said, love one another as I have loved you. He raised the standard to unconditional, sacrificial, uh, perpetual, continuing love. And that in doing so, um, he gave us that higher standard. And he said also that by this, the world will know you're my disciples. And I love to bring that in maybe potentially as to, and by this, your family will be known to be a family of me, is that you love one another. And that's tough love and that's hard love. And it's love in all of its dimensions. And if that's all that happens, don't, you know, it, that's, that's the most important thing. When the Apostle John was dying, he was in uh, Ephesus at the time, there's a history, and he, they would bring him as a leader of the church, and he was too sick to come to the service, and he would, they would ask him for a, a word, and, he, and they said, what should we do? And he said, love one another. And then he would go away, and they'd bring him back the next week, and they said, do you have a word for us? And he said, love one another. And he did it a third time, and, and somebody said to him, Father, you know, uh, dear brother, tell us, is there anything else? That's all you tell us to do. He said, that's all the Lord required, and if you do that, that'll be enough. And that's the business of making our homes a place where love is the mightiest word. It's the mightiest word that cleanses our hearts, propels our minds, gives action to our hands, and gives meaning to our habits. I think for me, uh, looking back, I was separating out my heart and my beliefs and my passion for Christ with my habits as a parent and my hands as a parent. Like this morning, had a, a little incident. David, uh, I bought him some hard candy at the store. And, um, you know, he had a few pieces last night. And uh, so after he ate a few, I, I kind of put them up in the closet so that he wouldn't finish the whole packet. And so I said no a couple of times and I was in the bedroom. And <laughs> it's funny, I had this chair kind of going squeak, 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 squeak. Then I had the paper crunch, crunch, crunch. And then the paper came back and then the chair went back. And I knew he had disobeyed. And boy, I was so tempted to go back to, you know, my old parenting skills and be like, David, come right here. So, but I'm just so excited about my growth in that. Um, I give him a little timeout. And then while he was in timeout, I went to his bedroom and, and we talked about it in a, a real gentle way. And we talked about obedience being something from the heart and how it's important for him to obey. Then I said, okay, I'm gonna pray, and then you pray. And so he prayed and asked mommy to forgive him and God to forgive him, and then we just kind of held hands. And then we just went about our ways, and we were both so happy. And oh, it was so much better than the old school parenting style, which was more like, sit there, and I'm gonna get my, I'm gonna cut it out there, not say what I used to do, but I'm just doing so much better. Trisha, do you have any final thoughts? You know, I love what Phil was saying about love, and, and it goes back to that repetition and just being able to love our children where they're at, um, whatever level they're at, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and sometimes we expect so much from them.
We expect the two-year-old to behave as well as the five-year-old. We expect the five-year-old to be able to sit there quietly for 30 minutes. You know, we have these expectations that we put on our kids, and that's, I mean, I think that's unloving when we have so many expectations, but we need to have that repetition where we teach them again and again and, and have that time of coaching and training them. And I'm just going to give one more activity because I know um, as a young mom, we got to do these things with our kids to teach them. And so this is the game we're going to, I'm going to show you guys going to do it with me. It's a thumbs up and the thumbs down game. And so what we do is we'll have the kids go around and list the behavior and we say, is it thumbs up or thumbs down? So we're gonna do this together. Okay, so pulling your sister's hair. Mm. Okay, Ken. Telling one of your kids how much you love them. Yeah, <laughs> thumbs up. So we do this often at the dinner table and they come up with stuff like, throw my plate of dinner on the floor and mm. <laughs> But again, it's at the level that they're at that's showing true love and we're able to, to just speak to their heart and teach them behaviors right where they're at. You know, praying to God and, and thanking him for the day. You know, thumbs up and it just trains these kids in the simple ways where they're at. Somebody asked my wife Margie a while back, she said, you lived with Ken over 50 years and heard him talk about leadership. What do you think leadership's about? And I think she nailed it. She said, leadership is love. It's not about love. And that gets back to what you were right. saying. And so lead your family like Jesus is leading your family with love. God bless. We wish you the best. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, the, um, the bottom line, the bottom line there, to lead is to serve, right? To lead your family as a father, as a mother, is to serve your children, is to serve one another, and then to serve is to love. To serve is to love. Let me just uh, give us a few highlights um, to lead the discussion. Um, parenting is moment by moment, choice by choice, gauging the needs of others, gauging the needs of your children. I like this one. Is the children are God's appointed training instructors for the spiritual development of their parents. There is nothing that can get you as a parent on your knees quicker than your kids. And there is nothing that can make you more humble than your relationship with your children. And that is where God wants us to be. We are to forgive and to learn to be givers of grace. Forgive and to be givers of grace. Um, if, if you listen to the lady, Tricia, um, when she talked about those, those gathering the children and having them mention some labels and then they identify themselves with the labels. Um, uh, what do you think about that? You know, you pick out something um, like Rose, and then you label yourself, you say, that is who I am. Uh, what is the, do you see any danger in that um, identifying yourself with the behavior, with something? It's like, who are you? you? Say, I'm rose. I'm a rose flower. Something like that. Is there any, is there any danger? Is there something we should be cautious about that in, a, in identifying yourself? In other words, who are you? Are you something apart from who God says you are? Who are we? Who are you? What is our identity? If I may ask that. 
Who are you? Who am I? If I were to ask that question, I mean, this is, this is a question I, I ask um, my counselors when they come into the office. I ask them that, who are you? And oftentimes I tell you, they tell me what they do and not who they are. You are a child of God, right? It starts with the heart. You are a child of God. And every other thing hangs on that. You are a child of God. And so don't allow people to label you. Because when they label you, that is an identity thing. They say you are this, you are that, you are that, you are that. It becomes an identity. And if they say it long enough, you are going to believe it. And you know that what they say, as a man thinks, so is he. And so if, you, if one is in the habit of um, you know, saying those heavy words to our children, you are an idiot, you are this, you are a buffoon, you are a cow. And then when they, act, act, when they start acting out like cows, you see, because it is what they see is what you get. What they see is what you get. Yes, ma'am. I totally agree with you on that. Um, going back to my childhood, I remember, um, especially my mother would say certain names over certain children. And actually to today, I see that. I see those children, I see my siblings acting that out. So I think it's so important, especially for parents, even when you're angry, it's not good to call your children names. It's not good to make certain comments, you're crazy, da-da-da-da-da-da. And because, you know, children are, are, are like soil. You throw a seed in there, it's going to grow. So um, we have to be very, very careful not to speak those things, those curses over our children because they do shape them and form them. Okay, and then, um, and she talk, also talked about have tos, you know, you have to do this, you should do this, uh, you should imagine yourself doing this, and also doing the things that you are guilty about, you know, like, you know, things that you have not done in the church and you are guilty about it, and then you now go to do it. Now, what is the danger with that, you know? doing things just because you are guilty about not doing them. You know, um, performance, performance-based acceptance. Now you begin to do things to please people. You do things to please people. Um, you become a format. Just do things to please people. Um, you have to, you know, all those, how do they say it? Uh, them, the shoulda, woulda, you know, shoulda, woulda, must, and all of that. It brings in uh, this law, law, life, living. The grace is not there. The grace is not there. Um, filling your schedules. Did you hear that? Some of us have to do something, right? I have to do something. So we fill our schedules with things that are not necessary, things that God has not asked you to do. And then you saw, you know, her, her reaction. She was overwhelmed and frazzled. And all those things will always bring conflict and frustration. And of course, when we are frustrated, we have to find somebody to pour out the frustration onto. We vent our anger on the children, on our wives, on our husbands. So, um, let your schedule only exalt God. That was the instruction. Let your schedules only exalt God. Do those things that God has asked you to do. Stop comparing. Don't try to live. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. Comparing your children. Oh, the other family is doing this. I should do that. I must do that also. He said, just be you. Just be you. 
because God uh, deals with us where we are. We are unique. We are unique. Uh, our children are unique in the eyes of God. So we should, like um, Solomon said, say, bring up a child in a way that he should go, not in the way that the other children in the other families should go, but the way that your children should, should go. Yes. Okay, I don't know if um, this is part of what we're supposed to be talking about, but um, we're talking like from the parent aspect. How about like for kids, if you're in such a family where your parents are very used to comparing, what do you do? When the parents are, sorry, I didn't hear you. Where the parents are very used to comparing you with other people oh. all the time. How do you... Comparing you with other children yes. all the time? Mm -hmm. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. As how a child, not as a parent now. Because you're giving advice to parents, but... Okay. So if you are compared, your question is, uh, if you are compared, your parents compare you with children, other children from other families, how do you deal with that? How can they fix that problem? Yeah. Question. Is it a good thing to be doing that? Is it a good thing for a parent to be doing that? The answer is no. So the child grows up, and then she wants to be like uh, another person. There is a problem there, right? There is a problem there. There is a problem there. So, yes. My advice to the child would be if the parents are comparing you to or with other children, you compare them with other parents too. <laughs> <laughs> Tell them to how, they, how they're not the best parents in the world, how they don't have the most money in the world, how they don't have the best cars in the world. I mean, the point is really at the end yeah. of the day that uh, we're all, if we're not family rooted in who God tells us that we are. That's right. Uh, whether that's the parents or whether that's the children, then we're already lost. Uh, and it doesn't matter what anyone says. So again, the focus has to return to just hearing God and asking God to establish us however way that works for you. Uh, but he's your maker, he's your creator. And if you're old enough to, where your cognitive abilities are already developed, uh, then you want to really just understand that you want to lean on your maker about who you are. That's right. And only him really has the right, uh, quite frankly, to tell you who you are. Yes. She has a follow-up. Okay. <laughs> One more question. So how do you differentiate like where do you draw the line between setting examples for your kids okay. and actually comparing them for example um your your dad or your mom says well see this person is doing really good in school and you know your intention in quotes is to set an example for that child and sometimes it comes across as you're comparing you know um, um, you know, one time, um, it was my mom's birthday, and one of my friends had called her, you know, and it's one of those people that are very, oh, mommy, happy birthday, oh, no, you know, and then she comes to me, she's like, look at what your friend dropped for me, you know, like, can you do this for another person's mother, you know, so it's more like, are you trying to set an example, or are you trying to compare me with that person, if that makes any sense? Where do you draw that line between making setting an example for your child and comparing setting an yes okay uh. <laughs> um, i i run into this a lot because i have um my children are so different and i run into this quite often um in particular with my oldest two 
Um, and they taught me very early, as I'm saying early in my parenting, when they were very young, um, I learned that they were so very, very different. And I learned that I can never compare Rayshawn to Faith, Faith to Rayshawn. I have to, um, as I interact with them, deal with them with them. When I talk to them, if I'm trying to uplift them, I encourage them to strive for their best, not the brother or the sister's best. And so that requires as a parent that you know your child. You know what their potential is. You know what giftings they have. You know what spiritual giftings they have and natural giftings they have. And, and you go to them armed with, I know you. We have personal relationship. You're better than this. And I go to them individually based on the history that we've built. So they don't typically feel comparison because the things that I may approach one, I won't approach the other because I know where each of their abilities are. I wouldn't go to one who's not strength and strong in an area um, and because the other one is say, oh, why can't you be like this one? You have to, tr and it's not easy always, and there's a temptation every now and again to kind of stray from that, but I think if, if you tried to toe the line of where is that child and what's their next best and, and encourage them to strive for their best in based on who they are as an individual and not based on we're in the context of this family or what strengths and weaknesses the other one has because they will then compare you themselves to other people, even outside the house, once they become adults. Well, I think um, my opinion, uh, sometimes we look at the words. Last time we were talking about punishment and discipline. And uh, Sometimes we look at comparing and using an example. For example, uh, I know even the whole nation will use Obama as something to, for other people to emulate. Is that comparing or is that, you know, say, look at, look at Obama. If he didn't do this, if he didn't do this, it wouldn't be this, and so on. If you say that to a child, is that, are you trying to shape them to see something, or are you comparing them with that person? That's uh, part of something that I have to say. Um, one other thing that I heard uh, from the video is talking about guilt. Uh, my question here will be, even when you are not doing things for people, and maybe based on what she said, you become so tied with the program, and like she said, I stopped volunteering in church. Uh, first, if she wasn't doing it for the purpose of, for other people, then it, it wouldn't be a headache. But even with that, if you stop, um, I guess we say somebody else will do it. But if somebody else doesn't do it, the question is, can't you feel guilty with God rather than with people? Like, hey, God, I, you know, I tried to do this, but it seems like I've not done it for a week. And I, I feel guilty, you know, must it be with, because... Uh, you are feeling guilty about people. So um, that's another aspect. But the one thing that I got from this class that is important is that for all of us, classes like this are important because uh, they bring change. Some of the aspects of discipline or punishment are things that were embedded as you grew up. For example, we said, uh, and I know Brother Sammy said, tell your parents back that they are not. I think parents who don't feel that they, 
they should accept the way they are. I will always tell their children something. Because if you accept who you are, it is easier to impact the child. Compared to if you don't accept who you are, you're going to keep on telling the child, you know, about things that they should be. Um, but uh, I know a grandparent who gave their children uh, the whipping of their life. But when they tried to touch their own children, that, that grandfather was saying, if you touch that child, I'm going to. So they, 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 they gave that discipline. But when that child of theirs wanted to give the discipline to their grandchildren, no, he would say, no, no, they would not accept that. So um, uh, basically, this is a good class to be. It just changes you. Yeah, back to the question that uh, Judith asked. Where do you draw the line? I mean, as a parent, um, it's okay to tell you that I do appreciate you calling me, maybe on my birthday as a mother, or calling me from time to time, and so that you know, um, without comparing you to another person. Now, it's also okay to tell you that, oh, by the way, your friend did call, and I appreciate that. If you see her, say thank you to her. So when I say that, I'm trying to let you know that I do appreciate your call, and also commending your friend for calling. So that way, I'm not comparing you to her. So there is a difference between actually comparing, we are talking about comparing, and then uh, showing your child examples that he or she should follow. We are talking about comparing, wanting to be, wanting your child to be like the other person. You see, that, that brings about, uh, in, you know, the attitude of, uh, uh, what is it, competition, competition, rivalry rivalry and those are all you know the bible i mean paul would categorize those as the works of the flesh emulation did you know that emulation wanting to be better than the other person brings about competition unnecessary competition and rivalry you can uh, uh, you know instruct your children uh, to to a better behavior without comparing them with another person. You can do that without comparing them. All right. Now, the last thing they talked about was that the essence of all of this, the essence of all of this, the essence of this leading your family like Jesus is what? Who can tell me what he said? Love. 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 In fact, the only only command that Jesus gave us was what? The only command he gave us. He says, love one another. That is the only command in the New Testament. Alright? The only command in the New Testament. He says, love one another. And then Jesus raised it a higher standard even as I have loved you. Love one another, even as I have loved you. And remember, he said this in John 13, right after he had washed the feet of the disciples. And so to the disciples at, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the time, when he said, even as I've loved you, they thought it was just serve one another. Because Jesus Christ demonstrated, you know, the servant leadership model serving one another. But Jesus meant something beyond that. Because, you know, I think in 15 he says, greater love than this and for a man to die for his friends, to give his life for his friends. Uh, John follows this up in, in uh, First John, giving your life for your friends. In other words, you can give up everything 
up to the point that they can give up your life for your friends. And it's no wonder um, when Apostle John um, was asked, remember, when he was now old, sickly, they asked him, say, what should we do? What did he say? Love one another. They will bring him back the next week. What should we do as believers? Love one another. Is that the only thing we should do? Yes. Love one another. Because if we love, if we love our children, if we love our wives, if we love our, our husbands, we would do no wrong to them, right? Because love does no wrong. Love does no wrong to one another. Paul says in Romans, you know, I was, when, when I was reading this, I, I looked at John chapter 13, Jesus talking about loving one another even as he has loved us. Is it a coincidence that Romans 13 says the same thing? It says, oh, no man, nothing but what? Love. Oh, no man, nothing except love. And that is a good debt to owe. Uh, it, is, it is a debt that you pay back not because that person is loving you, but because Christ loves you, right? Yes. You have already received the love of Christ. Yes. And you know, it says we love because he, has, he loved us first. When we receive that love, and then we are filled with that love. That that love will be, the love we give out to others will be an overflow of that love. We love ourselves, then we will love others, even as we have been loved. It says, make your home a house where love is a mighty word. Make your home a house where love is a mighty word. Let love cleanse your heart, propel your mind, give actions to your hands, and give meaning to your habits. And just to remind us what this love is all about, let's talk about agape love. Agape. First Corinthians 13 gives us a character of this love. It says love is kind. Love is patient. Love does not envy. You see, the thing with comparing brings about envy. Because when you compare me, you know, and I, and I can't measure up to that standard, the next thing is to envy. So love does not envy. Love is not boastful. It is not conceited. It does not act improperly. Love is not selfish. Love is not provoked. Not provoked. Hmm. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but love rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And we can love, you know, we can really love. Not with our own strength. Not with, not with our own strength. What does Paul say? That the love of God is shared where? Abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We need to get that strength from the Holy Spirit, indwelling Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. Because we cannot love, we cannot love with our own power. We can't love our children with all the nasty things that they do. Nasty. We can't love our wives, we can't love our husbands. And sometimes they are so unlovable. So very unlovable by the things that they do. But agape is unconditional, right? It does not depend on what you do, but it depends 
on the love that you've received from, from Christ. And so when you're faced with those moments when, you know, that person is just so unlovable. You know what I do? I, I say, Jesus, you know, I can't love this person. But I want you to love him or her through me. I want you to love him or her through me. So I yield myself to the only one who loves unconditionally. And allow that love to flow through to that person. So I close my eyes to the, uh, to the behavior. I close my eyes to the injustice. I close my eyes to all those things. And allow that love, which is already in me. Because it is only Christ who can love unconditionally. Because that is who he is. So as we yield to him, then we will experience that life. Our time is up, and so I am going to close this with a prayer that um, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Shall we pray? I pray that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in the inner man through his spirit, and that Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know the Messiah's love that surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen.